Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome in, Hoist the Colors, the podcast, the Bucks on the Pond podcast is officially back. It is Sunday, February 4th. We are 12 days away as we record this, if you're watching it live, from first pitch inside Clark and Clare Stadium when East Carolina will start a new season, the 2024 much-anticipated season, as always, in Greenville, North Carolina. It is great to be back. I'm Stephen Igo. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jonathan Wagner, Scott Lorbacher. Gentlemen, are we ready for some baseball? Very oh, much yeah. so. Can't come soon enough. I'll tell you what, it can't come soon enough after the disaster <laughs> that has been ECU football, unfortunately, 2-10, and ten, worst season, one of the worst seasons of recent memory. And then basketball, not to go on a tirade here, but it's been – a disappointment for the first season with real expectations in a while. Um, but hey, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk ECU baseball. By the way, what a, some housekeeping to start with. All right. So, first off, I get asked all the time, man, I'm following the Hoist the Colors podcast channel. What's happened to the podcast? Why is it disappearing? And um, I understand it. Look, there's multiple channels. I've got a radio show, 94.3 The Game, called Hoist the Colors. We, uh, we do daily shows, one-hour shows. So we haven't frequented the podcast as much. You can find the Hoist the Colors radio show under the Hoist the Colors 94.3 tab. That is a separate channel. So make sure you so, uh, subscribe and follow that and the 94.3 YouTube page. Um, this will continue on Sunday nights throughout the regular season, the Bucks on the Pond podcast on this channel, the Hoist the Colors podcast channel, and these guys will be making appearances as well on the radio show. So what I'm saying is, guys, subscribe to both channels. Subscribe to Hoist the Colors YouTube page, or Scott Lorbatcher will come through your door and knock you out. Isn't that right, Scott? That's why Wags doesn't have a door anymore behind <laughs> him. Uh, his door was previously knocked out, so now he has just got a wall. So if you don't want that to happen to you, like, comment, and subscribe. Jonathan Wagner had to move from Greenville to Raleigh just to just to escape Scott Lorbacher. Um, the other thing, so Sunday night we're going to go live every night, uh, 9 p.m. once the season gets here. So next weekend, obviously, is the Super Bowl. We will not have a show 
next weekend. We will have these guys on Thursday before the season opener. We're going to have like a roundtable predictions podcast on Thursday, February 15th on our radio show. So we'll obviously tease that, preview that, et cetera. So looking forward to that. All right. Enough of me talking. Uh, YouTube, we're, we got subscribe uh, comments on YouTube, Facebook. If you want to drop them, drop them there. We'll read them throughout the show. All right, fellas, we're going to go roundtable here to start with. Storyline we're looking forward to most for the coming season. We'll kind of give each – each of us will give a storyline, and then we'll expand on it a little bit. We'll start with WAGs. What comes to mind for this 2024 ECU baseball team? I think for me when, you know, we were wrapping up last season, going into the offseason, I think whether it was us, whether it was the fan base as a whole, it was – you're climbing for a bat. You wanted a, an addition through the portal. Whether what, However it came, you, you needed an impact bat. And, you know, I don't think people necessarily got maybe what they wanted in terms of a big proven – D1 bat in the portal, but I look at guys like Bristol Carter. I look at guys like even Chaz Myers and guys like that, especially Bristol Carter, if he can come in and be what people think he can be from day one, then maybe that's the addition you were looking for. I think Ryan McChrystal, I would count him in the addition territory too, just since injuries have derailed him so far. But when he's healthy, he's got a lot of power. He's got a great bat. And if he can step into that DH role, then maybe the guys from within are kind of the portal additions, if you will, uh, that we were calling for offensively. So guys need to step up, and I'm excited to see right away if they will. We'll see some, I'm sure, some a lot of different lineup combinations opening weekend, first couple of weeks. But I'm really excited to see who steps up in one through nine, and I hope it doesn't take too long to solidify that. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, are we going to overblow the whole lefty <laughs> – lefty-righty splits thing again. But at least they did add Chaz Myers and Bristol Carter, who I think both of them will play. Colby Wallace, it looks like, has a chance to play as a two-way freshman. We'll see. Um, but I, I do like your point, Wags, about like McChrystal. We know he's got the potential. Dixon Williams has been raking. And like these returning guys, who kind of takes that step as well? Uh, you know that, that might be a separate storyline, but I feel like it kind of goes in line with that. What do you think, Scott, about Wags's, you know, feelings there? Yeah, I like that. Uh, somebody's going to have to step up. Somebody's going to have to have that that Connor Norby esque year where they come in and and hit four ten and are just a, a huge threat in the lineup. And I don't think we have a clear idea of who that might be yet. I mean, it could be a guy like Jacob Starling making that leap where he was a really good hitter last year and making that leap to, to a 400 type college hitter that has 30 extra base hits. Um, or it could be Dixon Williams getting full time um, at bats and, you know, becoming a, a key part of this lineup or somebody that we maybe haven't even talked about yet. All right. We have our first comment from Dan, by the way, we got like 60 plus people viewing in one comment. Are y'all scared to talk? I mean, last year we were rolling in the comments. So, uh, we need some interaction. Interaction makes a show. Let us know. Dan says, baseball doesn't count until it's warm weather, true or false. He says it's true. Uh, the games count, Dan, but I get it. There's a lot of people that don't have, I don't know what you call it, baseball fever until it's like March and it warms up. But uh, I'd say what I was out there today, it was fifth in the 50s. It was a beautiful day. If we get that weather on open a weekend, guys, I'm going to be pumped. But, you know, I get it, but. 
I'm ready for some baseball mid February or April. Just give just give me baseball. Give me power baseball, guys. Right. Yeah, we need it. And I've been very excited for the season. And it's my first season away from Greenville. So I'll be I'll be making the trip back. I'll be putting a little more miles on my car than what I'm used to doing. But man, baseball just as a whole can't come soon enough. And yeah, if we can get this weather we're getting right now, I'll count it whether it's hot, cold. So just give it to me. Anything. I'll take anything I can get. All right, Scott. Your biggest storyline, what are you watching going into 2024? Can this pitching staff live up to the hype? I mean, you got a guy in your Savage that looks to be the next big pitcher to come out of East Carolina. You got the guy behind him in route that looks like to be the next, next big pitcher to come out of East Carolina. And then, you know, Kaler, Jake Hunter, uh, Wyatt Lungsford Shinkman, uh, Richie, other guys that are going to step up in the bullpen. Danny Bill at the back end of that. Um, you have a lot of names that are, are recognizable in that in that pitching staff, and we're going to need to lean on them on Friday and Saturday night early in the year, like Dan was saying, when it's cold uh, and the bats haven't warmed up yet. So are they going to be able to carry us through the non-conference? And then at the same time, when uh, tournament play comes around, are they going to be able to, to lock it down? And that, that Friday night regional game is always so important. And then having a, another guy on Saturday is always huge. So. Can those two guys be the the aces that we all think they can be? And how far is that going to carry us? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I feel like, and interestingly enough, it sounds like you Savage and Root kind of struggled on in their, their scrimmages past weekend, which better to get it out of the way now than uh, in the regular season. I don't really have too much concern about either one, really. Definitely not you Savage. Uh, but, you know, there are expectations on those guys. It will be interesting to see how they answer them. You know, going off that, Scott, one of the storylines I kind of kicked around in my head was, you know, kind of the the whole middle relief bullpen depth. But for me, early in the season, I'm watching to see, do we kind of see ECU go to the same two, three arms out of the bullpen, you know, three, four times a week um, or two or three times a week? And, like, you know, I feel like in the past that's kind of led to guys getting worn down. And so, like, I feel like this staff should be deeper, We'll see how it plays out. They got to earn the trust of the coaches, but I feel like that's a factor for me as well, kind of going off your point. Um, your thoughts, Wags, on the pitching? Yeah, I think, you know, the last couple of years going into going into it, the the sentiment has kind of been, you know, this is the deepest pitching staff he was had and so forth. But, you know, this year when I look at it, I think, you know, maybe we've said that having high expectations on freshmen and the freshmen didn't exactly live up to it right away. But, I mean, I look at this, whether it's the transfer additions and whether it's that one-two punch at the, at the top, it's all it starts at the top. But I think this might be the best out of – definitely out of the couple – I think it can be out of the couple of years. Yeah, you lose guys like Carter Spivey, Garrett Saylor, and, you know, Landon Ginn last year. But, man, when I look at this team, it's just – it's bullpen and it's quality options. You know, Wyland's for Chankman. He could potentially start, but he could be a bullpen guy. Danny Beal is obviously going to do everything out of the bullpen. But I think you got those guys. You mentioned Colby Wallace. I'm a Pinecrest guy. I'm going to mention that every time I mention Colby Wallace. So, But he was a stud on the mound in high school all three years that he, he pitched. So he could be a big impact. And there's a couple other freshmen that I think are more equipped probably to pitch from day one than maybe some of the guys in the past years. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll talk a lot more pitching. We got a question about relief, and we'll get into some of those options. Uh, also a question about Drew Bryan, the transfer, and how he will impact the team. We'll touch on that uh, here shortly when we get into the questions. All right, my biggest storyline, guys, and, you know, I guess Wags goes hitting, Scott goes pitching. I'm going to go defense to kind of round it out. Like, I feel like last year – I don't know what the fielding percentage numbers said. I haven't looked it up, but it just felt like it wasn't the best ECU defensive team we've seen. Honestly, not up to standard at times. And I feel like this team, and I thought last year's team gave up a lot of runs that necessarily showed up as earned runs, but maybe should not have been. Uh, the you know there were a lot of the positioning, the shifts backfired at times. Of course, nobody complains about it when it goes right to somebody. But how much have they evaluated or changed that? How much does the personnel change year over year? You know, it looks like Bristol Carter or Riley Johnson will start in center field. We know JJC uh, started last year in center, and they kind of moved some pieces around there. So how much does that change things? And then, you know, defensively, you lose AMAC at third. That's a big storyline in itself, but that's a huge loss from a defensive perspective. So who steps up there? And then, you know, there are a lot of ground balls that got through up the middle last year that I think need to be corralled this year. So how much has guys like Barini – and Starlin improved defensively year over year as well, and then a new first baseman. So, for me, I feel good about Wilcox behind the plate. I like McChrystal as a backup, but defensively, I don't want to say I have concerns, but I have, I don't know, kind of a wait-and-see approach. Your thought on that, Scott, you know, playing a, a big role this year for the Pirates? Yeah, I think it's a fair point, and I think last year it may not even have shown up in the, the fielding percentage stats. I think there were times where – you know, watching Agnos at shortstop, there's balls that he would get to that weren't played last year. And then, I mean, obviously, Barini is not Agnos, but it, he's he's still a solid defender. But his you know range left and right is not is not the same. So, you know, does he take that next step on being able to read the ball off the bat a little bit quicker to get to some of those balls? And then, um, is Bristol Carter in center field going to be able to cover the ground that that maybe Hoover? picked up last year and I think so um and then on the in the corner outfield position I think defensively whoever's out there has to step up from what we saw last year I think it was a really big struggle throughout the entire season um there was a play in Durham where I think we slapped a ball over the fence right so like stuff like that can't happen um if you want to if you want to consistently win games especially during the midweeks um during the midweeks is when when fielding and pitching depth really take over and I think we're going to really need to step up there from last year in order to win those 45 games that would probably be needed to look at a top eight. Uh, Wags, uh, I will say I was out at the scrimmage today. Cunningham played some some outfield. He made an outstanding catch against the wall. I was standing right behind it uh, with my two-and-a-half-year-old son. He kind of got <laughs> freaked out for a second because he slammed into the wall but made an awesome catch. Nowak was in the outfield. Bristol Carter looked comfortable in center. I didn't really see any defensive errors, so that was a positive. So what did you see, or, or what are you looking for defensively heading to this this new season? Well, I think something a little underrated maybe I'm looking at is Bristol Carter's ability to play corner as well because we, we know what Riley Johnson can do. If Riley Johnson's healthy, he's going to play. He might not start, but he's going to be in the game late because he's an elite defensive center fielder. So I feel like Riley Johnson's going to play center if he's in there. And I haven't had the opportunity to see Bristol play yet in person in any of the scrimmages, but if he can take to right field well, and it might seem like it's nothing, but I mean, last year, I feel like all the guys 
kind of – they had their spot. You know, Lane Hoover could play all over, but, you know, JJC was more comfortable in right. He started in center. He moved to right. He moved to left at the end of the year. So, Carter Cunningham was in right. He played left. He played center a little bit. So, the roles never really got, you know, solidified, I don't think. And so, this year, I think if Bristol is able to play right field, play left field – and give you more flexibility late innings to maybe keep a bat in the lineup too, then I think that could be very valuable for this team down the road. All right, let's get into some of these comments. We're going to have a discussion later, kind of looking at the schedule and pick out our favorite series to watch, maybe also some position battle talk, but we will have a lot of these questions where we'll cover some of this stuff. So, all right, William Landon says, this year will come down to how well our relief pitching has developed and, he says, and timely hitting. Um so, yeah, I mean, those are obviously two key factors. Timely hitting, always crucial. I mean, there's a reason these scrimmages, Cliff Goblin, his staff, give out extra points to the teams for two out, hitting, runners in scoring position, execution, that sort of stuff. It is heavily emphasized everywhere, especially in this program. And then relief pitching, guys, like, again, a lot of this will be dictated by who starts. I feel good about, like, the back end of the bullpen, but who's going to step up in those middle relief roles where you get into game two, three of a series or midweek, you know, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a question mark for every college baseball team, but definitely that's, that's a key factor. Uh, Wags, what do you think about the bullpen at this point? Kind of old paper heading into the season. Yeah, I think like we were talking about earlier, the, there's a lot of options, but like you said, the having guys step up and I think step up right away matters more than anything. Cause again, we know Danny Beal, more often than not, he's going to be the first guy out of the bullpen. And, you know, he's one of your best bullpen arms. And I expect we see Wyatt Lunchford Chapin probably as that closer type of guy, if I had to guess. But, you know, if you – if say your starter on whether it's Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, especially Sunday once you get to the tail end of a weekend series, if your first guy out of the bullpen, especially if he's coming in fourth, fifth inning, if he can't come in, settle things down, maybe give you a couple innings – then it kind of throws everything off out of whack. And then the whole schedule gets thrown off if you're having to pitch seven, eight guys in a day. So I want to see not only who can come in and pitch well, but who can maybe come in and give you length too. But I think the guys like Drew Bryan, like we've mentioned earlier, can he come in and be that guy? I don't know. I haven't seen him in person pitch, but we'll see. But obviously we know Danny Beal. I think guys like Aaron Grohler, a transfer, and some of those lefties, whether it be Eric Ritchie, I think he's taken a step. So there are options, but in the end, nothing matters until you're facing an opponent and the wins and losses start counting. And that's what I'm interested to see who pitches well. We'll lump kind of this question in with this uh, before I pitch it to Scott. Kaysen Romaley, who helps us out, obviously hoist the colors, uh, big basketball guy, but has turned into a college baseball guy. How will Drew Bryan impact this team? A midweek guy, he wants to know. So Drew Bryan did pitch today. He threw, I think, an inning. Uh, he was like 92, 93. Pretty good stuff. Riley Johnson did hit a home run off of him, but otherwise I thought he looked good. From, I think he'll be kind of a middle relief guy. I think he honestly profiles as that, like more of a guy who can go in, let it loose. Uh, maybe could be a midweek starter, but I think he'll be kind of a middle relief guy. That's a pretty good guy to have as a middle reliever. So, I don't know, Scott. What, do you, what are you looking forward to watching maybe early in the season with this, this pitching staff relief core to see? kind of who develops as those bullpen guys. You're muted, Scott. Oh, our first <laughs> error of the season. It was me. E- yes, E. Scott. 
no, I think Wags touched on a little bit. Um, who are those first guys out of the pen are? You know, the first guy on Friday night, the first guy on Saturday, uh, the first guy that comes out on Sunday that maybe has to come in a little bit earlier and give you that link. Um, I think you'll see Danny Bill out a lot, but do you want him out every day of the weekend? Probably not, especially not early in the year. Um, and then it, it builds off the starting pitchers, right? Like if, if your Savage can come give you six, seven innings on Friday, if Root can come give you five, six plus on Saturday, then you have a lot more options on Sunday when you can go, you know, in the fourth or fifth if, if whoever the Sunday starter is doesn't have it. And if you don't need that, then it helps you during the midweek. We have three weeks this week, this year with, with two midweek games, and those games are all going to be important um, to win for, for our RPI reasons and for um, the national polls. So it, it is who those first guys out of the pen are. And I think we know some of those names, but I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody new step into that role, especially early in the year when guys are starting to define themselves and honestly, our best games and the best opponents we play are early in the year. So the best lineups they're facing will be the second week of the season, third week of the season, stuff like that. Johnny Robertson, our resident stat guy, is uh, coming with the new. So I guess, there, yeah, there are new, what, quadrants for postseason parameter um, you know, evaluations this year. Johnny Robertson says, based on the new quadrant scales and the expected opening RPI ratings, the Pirates will have 16 quad four games at home and zero on the road. Also, they will have four quad one games and 10 road, or he says four home quad one games and 10 road quad one games. He says, of course, everything will change, but many of these numbers should be close. So I guess this is what, based on last year's, performance is that what this would be based on so um yeah i mean look it's i don't know really how much this will change things but i i like the fact that ecu could have 10 road quad one games i mean that's a chance to really pad your resume because we know road counts for a lot in the rpi rating and all that sort of stuff so i don't know do y'all have any thoughts on this i haven't really dove into it quite yet but uh any thoughts scott i know you're a big Big stats, big analytic guy. Yeah, I mean, I think we play a really good schedule. We played four teams uh, that last year made it the tournament. Three of those won games, uh, including Ryder, who we, we opened the season with. Um, and they're not picked very high in the uh, the, the, the Mac with two A's. Um, Mac. The, the long Mac. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe maybe they'll, they'll outperform their preseason rankings. Uh, and then, you know, I, I would assume that UNC would be one, if not more, of these games. Um, that we're talking about here, losing their their Friday night guy, um, what happens to them? And, but they'll have a high RPI just based on schedule. Uh, and then Campbell moving from the Big South to the CAA, um, you know, they're playing a lot tougher competition, especially on the weekends. Uh, how does that affect them? So is it, is it something where they, they step up to it and they, they still perform at the same level? Or do they have a little bit more of a struggle and they're kind of, you know, they were a really high RPI opponent last year. You know, who knows if they will be this year. And then Liberty as well. They're moving to a new league uh, in CUSA this year. They got Dallas Baptist on the schedule. So, you know, hopefully that'll help them and their RPI, especially being a weekend opponent. So Johnny followed up. He said Warren Nolan released their expected opening RPI ratings. He was seven. I'm, I feel like, I mean, there's no way Warren Nolan's researching every 
roster in America, so it has to be a lot predicated on last year, but certainly interesting nonetheless. Uh, and yeah, I think Ryder, like if Ryder is anything like last year, that could, you know, Liberty too. Liberty needs to get back to being what Liberty can be to kind of pad ECU's non-conference. Um, Wags, your thoughts, and we'll get more into the schedule later. You know, I know you're doing some work for OWN3. Have you wrote about this at all or any thoughts on kind of what the new parameters are for evaluating postseason proceedings, all that sort of stuff? I haven't yet. I haven't dove into it, but, I mean, I do think it's interesting with all those potential quad one road games for ECU specifically. And I think last year, I think the general – perception was that ECU struggles on the road, especially early in the year. As you were in non-conference, you take those midweek games and then you move into conference play. I think that was kind of the general feeling. So if those are your biggest opportunities to boost your RPI, then you have to take advantage of them. And I think if you squander too many of them, whether it be a midweek against, say, Elon on a Tuesday or whoever, but all those games matter. And especially last year, I feel like they might at the top it might have been tough and then there's a big group of teams you know fighting for those final eight hosting spots and they, it all matters in the end so if if the changes help ECU then great but in the end again we say it I say it all the time but you just have to win when you go out there and nothing else really matters yeah last year ECU just lacked the top end wins because they could not really get those marquee midweek wins. I mean, they did win over UNC early in the season, but then just lost too many of the big midweek games, the Campbell series. No need to rehash that. Everybody knows what happened in all three of those games. All right, let's move on. Next question here. Josh Thomas, thoughts on what the weekend opening rotation will be. So I believe the starters for Friday in this weekend scrimmage were Zach Root, Trey Savage, Saturday was Jake Hunter and Wyatt Lunsford Chinkman. Sunday was Chris Kaler and also well, I'm blanking, Jaden Winter. So it's interesting that Ethan Norby came out of the bullpen. And, you know, it could be experimenting with all sorts of stuff. So, like, I don't read too much into that, but that's kind of a, you know, a situation there. So I think everybody expects you to have in your route to be one and two. Crazier things can happen. But, uh, the real question is, who's the Sunday guy? My money's on Chris Kaler, but Cliff Godwin has surprised us all before. I thought Kaler looked good today. You know, he's only 84, 87, or he was today. I think that velocity would tick up a bit, but he's more of a pitchability guy. He was pounding the zone, really good off speed. So he, we know he's going to throw strikes, experience transfer. So he would get my pick, but I wouldn't count out Jake Hunter. And I just have a sneaking suspicion that they won't I don't say won't, but that they're thinking about putting Wyatt in the rotation, given how good he's looking. He pitched really good Saturday. So thoughts, uh, we'll start with Wags here. Any gut feeling on the rotation? Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you. Trey on Friday, Zach on Saturday, and probably Chris Kaler on Sunday. But, I mean, there's I mean, legitimately probably four guys that I wouldn't bat an eye if they came out and started opening weekend. You know, whether it's Chris Kaler, Jake Hunter. I think Jake Hunter, he had four starts last year, if I'm remembering right. And he looked a little bit better out of the bullpen. I think he kind of found his groove as the season went on out of there. So that's where I prefer, or a midweek type role. But for the weekend, Kaler, Hunter, uh, Shankman, or I mean, a guy like 
And I'm just going to take this advantage to this opportunity to talk about Jaden Winter too, because I do think he's going to be a big part of this pitching staff. And while I don't think he's going to be in the rotation or anything, I mean, nobody expected Jay Conner to be the Sunday guy coming out as a freshman two years ago. So who knows if he's getting starts and scrimmages and it's probably a possibility. So I wouldn't entirely rule it out, although probably not likely. Scott, any gut feeling on who is number three and what this rotation looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think Kaler makes a lot of sense, and Jake Hunter does too. So maybe they're three and four. One of those guys gets Tuesdays. One of those guys gets Sundays. And I think I've talked about this every year on the podcast, about how much I'd love for us to have a, a Tuesday guy that is getting starting pitching experience and and goes into, into Tuesdays with that starting pitching mindset so that if something happens to one of the weekend guys, they don't have to to adjust their approach. But um, I would lean Kaler, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jake Hunter is, is in that role. Yeah, the whole midweek thing is like there was a year ODU was really good and they had a designated midweek starter and he was like one of their better pitchers. And they, I think it was the year they, uh, they went to South Carolina as a, well, they were one seed that year, right? Yeah, they, it was yeah. it was the COVID tournament where yeah yeah I feel like you know it's you want to win the weekends, but it would be so nice. I guess teams just don't have enough pitching depth to have a designated midweek starter a lot, but like it would be cool. Like Sailor kind of turned into that last year for ECU as the season went on, so maybe it does. But it just feels like ECU always just plays to win the weekend and then figures it out midweek. But we could go back and forth on that philosophy. For a while. I'm sure we will at some point this season on the podcast. Um, TH Dameron says, Who gets left out in the outfield? He says, Bristol Carter, Riley Johnson, Carter Cunningham, Jacob Jenkins Coward, and Luke Nowak. So Cunningham has been getting a lot of reps at first base along with Cam Clunch. Also playing today there was Chaz Myers. Colby Wallace has gotten some time there. So that increases his flexibility, chances of getting to the lineup. Bristol and Riley have both looked good in center. Riley's been dealing with a shoulder injury, but he played great in the scrimmage today. He played center for one team. Bristol played center for the other team. Nowak was in left. Carter was in left today, and JJC was in right. So I feel like I would put my money on Bristol, JC, and Nowak being your opening day lineup with Carter playing first base. But, you know, Clonch looked good today, too, at first base and hitting the ball. So I, I don't know. What do y'all think here? And I think all of them will play, and then it'll just work itself out. So we'll start with Scott. What do you think about the outfield situation? What inning is it? It is the. Let's just go first inning. Uh, I think I think you'll I think like you said I think it'll be Bristol, uh, JJC, and Nowak. Uh, but I, I'd really like to see Riley Johnson out there um, in that rotation. Um, and you know we play three games a weekend, so I don't think it's a guarantee that it'll be the same three out there the entirety of the weekend to start the game. Uh, and you have a DH. I think all five of these guys are potential DH candidates um, on days they're not playing. So uh, I think you'll see a mix, especially early in the year. Um, but but with Nowak's speed, I think you almost have to have him in the lineup. And then just the bats between Bristol Carter and JJC, you, you'll see them in the, in the lineup more often than not. And then I think Carter Cunningham starts at first base to begin the year. Uh, Kirk Cohn says, from what I've seen of Bristol Carter in center field at the scrimmages, like three out of four now, he has the potential to be the best center fielder since Worrell in 2022, so that's a good sign. Um, what are your thoughts on the outfield situation, Wags? Any 
I keep saying gut feel, but I mean, that's what we're going off at this point because we know Cliff Goblin. He'll surprise all of us come opening day. Um, what do you think about that full situation? Well, I think you have you have more options out there this year than you did, I think, last year. You know, last year you had your top three or four guys, and then after that I think there was a drop-off of guys you weren't necessarily comfortable starting, having in the lineup. But, I mean, now you have those five guys we mentioned. I mean, you have Cam Clonch. You could probably go out there. So you have a bloody of options. So, you know, I, that's good. The more bats you have, it's a good problem to have to be debating who's going to be the fourth guy. And I think we've mentioned it before, but we know what Riley Johnson can do defensively and offensively. Cliff mentioned this in media day that I think Riley was, he had a hit in each of his seven last pinch hit at bats late in the year. So he came through when it mattered. He deserves a start. And will he, I don't know, but he's going to have a big role. And Luke Nowak, I think he's the, the guy. We'll see what he looks like defensively. He struggled a little bit last year and whether it's him, whether it's JC, you know, coming out maybe in that defensive replacement type guy um, late in games, then I still think you're pretty comfortable with whoever's left in your lineup, depending on the day. And it'll depend whether you're facing the lefty who's really good against lefty hitters or vice versa. That'll play a role too. But in the end, I'm more comfortable with the depth and guys that you're comfortable with playing every day if they have to. Jack Dover says, I go. Can you ask Cliff what he thinks about the opening weekend weather? Uh, yeah, I'll be sure to avoid that topic. We know Cliff loves him some weather talk. Uh, and then Jack also asks on topic here, also can Luke Nowak read the ball? So I was talking with some people just around the program, and they feel like Luke has a chance to be a really good defender. And his last year kind of became mental for him a little bit with the early struggles. So I hope defensively – I mean, look, we know he's fast, is incredibly fast. It's not like he's out there not taking reps in the outfield. So he looked good today, filled the ball. But that's just one of those things he's got to, to go out there and prove that he can be a plus defender, and he's got the tools that just has to kind of become that. I do think he made progress down the stretch last year, but got to be uh, more consistent for sure. Uh, so that'll be interesting. All right, I had something else to say, but I forgot what it was going to be. So maybe we'll circle back. Kurt Cohn, I know it sounds absolutely crazy, he says, but with the level of midweek opponents we play and the RPI effects from winning, losing those games, it almost makes you wonder if your midweek arm should be your number three arm and your number four guy be on Sundays. I feel like we've talked about this a little bit in the past too, the whole RPI effect. But like the problem is, Scott, we'll start with you here. If you lose that Sunday game, you lose like 95 RPI points and you plummet. So it's like you almost got to win the – you just got to win every game. But uh, every game is crucial because if you lose to a bad team, it hurts you too. But you also want the quad one win, so it's a double-edged sword. Your thoughts? Yeah, the Sunday game is often a conference game, right? So it affects the standings. Um, not that we've had a huge issue with that in the past, but you don't want to end up in a situation where <clears throat> there's somebody else in the league that's playing really well, and we're, we're, we're winning every weekend, but we're going two and one. Um sometimes too but uh yeah you know uh you look at a team like campbell last year they were throwing their number two on tuesdays um one of their best pitchers and it worked out for them um now i've lost my thought uh and it, and it worked out really well for them but they had really bad weekend opponents they could and they could just you know walk over some of some of those big south schools so I, i'm interested to see what they do this year um kind of getting off topic a little bit but um and then you look at the SEC. They they always have just really good 
Tuesday night arms and they're all freshmen and they're all freshmen that they're 97. So, you know, it's, and we're, we're in between that. We're in a league where more often than not, the teams that we're playing, especially on Sunday, don't have good quality pitching and, and maybe we can win without it, but do you risk that and risk winning the regular season conference championship, which is going to kill our hosting chances if we don't win the regular season in our conference. And, but there is the drawback of you're going to have to step up on Tuesday night and score some runs. Yeah, and you, you don't have to win every midweek game, but you just got to be respectable and not like last year. Like you can't go 0-3 versus Campbell. Like that was just – first of all, Campbell deserved to host. Still don't know how they didn't, but uh, you know that's what hurt ECU is just the lack of marquee wins at times. So they had to find that balance. You don't have to go you know, 9-2 and two against top 25 midweek teams, but you got to be around 500 ideally, if not better. All right, uh, Josh says focus, Scott. So what would you lose your are you too busy thinking about the Super Bowl? No, I was uh I was frozen on my screen but neither of you were and it was uh just disorienting. That is a weird uh, that is a very weird feeling. Uh Dan says midweek doesn't mean anything compared to the weekend. It you know it's it's one of those things where it's like the pollsters don't take into account the midweek a whole lot but then like it affects your quad one and your RPI for a team in ECU standing. So it's, it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing. Midweek games suck. I'll say that, but it's like part of the season. It's part of the formula. All right. Adam Pike says who steps up as more of a leader, Jacob Starlin or Jacob Jenkins coward. Will we see Jacob Jenkins coward as more of a power threat since he's fully recovered? I think JC has had a very good preseason. He was up and down in the fall, but I think he hit a home run yesterday. Uh, I think it may have been off. I don't want to say who it was off of because I don't know, but I think a freshman. But either way, good to see. And I think he's had a good preseason, which is a great news for ECU. So uh, twofold here, Adam, Pike, who steps up as more of a leader? We're not in the clubhouse wag, so like, who really knows? But I feel like both of them have leader potential. They both spoke at media day, so I don't know. Did you take anything from that, those conversations? You were there. I was I was dead. <laughs> Yeah, I think on the leadership standpoint, one of the biggest things I took away was just as a whole, this team is very player player led. You know, guys like Carter Cunningham and guys like Trey Savage, even guys like Zach Root, Justin Wilcox, and you can go on. I just feel like from top to bottom, there's a lot more player leadership on this team. Not that there hasn't been in the past, but this it feels a little bit different for whatever reason. And you know, I think it's interesting. You are replacing a lot of player leadership from last year with Lane Hoover, Garrett Saylor, Carter Spivey. So that's no easy task. And Josh Moylan. But, you know, I think there's there's plenty of guys that have stepped up. And as looking at the second part of this question, too, I think JJC is probably the key part of the season, I think. If he turns back into the JC, he was his freshman year and he's hitting, you know, 15 home runs, then this team's probably in a good spot. But if he doesn't, then I think it puts more pressure on other guys to step up and offset some of the power that you lost from Josh Moreland. But I'm excited for JC. I think a big year's coming. I think he has looked really good in the preseason. Sounds like he's ready to come back. Different mindset this year. Last And I'm just rambling now. But last year he – he, he said at media day last year, he kind of, he listened to all the noise. He listened to the expectations and he let it get to his head a little bit. 
And I think this year he seems to be in a different mindset, and I think he's going to start high, and I don't think he's going to let up. Yeah, it just felt like his freshman year he had so much fun playing the game. It's almost like a little bit reminiscent of Moylan. Like it seemed like last year just kind of weighed on him, the expectations. Scott, how important do you think kind of JC being who he can be, like how important is that ECU season, similar to maybe what Moylan was from sophomore to junior year? Yeah, you just need those power threats in the middle of the lineup. And, and somebody's going to have to step up and do that. And it could be either one of these guys, um, Starling or JC, or, or another senior like Wilcoxon or Carter Cunningham. And, and you're going to have a lot of upperclassmen on the field um, and in the lineup with this team. And so maybe some of that leadership role gets spread around to where it's not, you know, one guy like it was with when Agnos was here and Morrill, where like, you knew who the leaders of the team were. It was those guys. They were the most vocal. And, and it takes some of that pressure off a guy like JC who could focus on enjoying the game and having fun and being that spark plug off, you know, in the lineup where he's at second base and he's pumped up and it gets the team pumped up and, and we move on from there and, and we start to start a rally. And let's be real too. Like he had a solid season and he spent what a third, if not more with a, shattered testicle and recovering from that. So, like, I mean, none of us here could <laughs> – none of us here could stand on a baseball field if that happened to us after that. So, Let alone getting a batter's box again. Yeah, like, I mean, it was just – a it was a crazy season. So, looking forward to what JC has in store in 2024. All right, so uh, Campbell, we kind of touched on this earlier. Jack says Campbell should be a lot easier this year not throwing their Saturday guys – I don't. Yeah, I mean the Big South. That was where they were, right? The Big South. Correct. I mean the there was like one decent team that they had to face this year. It's the CA has kind of taken a hit, but still, I mean, they're it's not going to be as easy as it was. So they're not going to be able to pitch off on midweek games as much. They play Delaware, Elon, NCA, and T. I keep forgetting that they're in the CA now. Stony Brook, Hofstra, College of Charleston, UNCW, Monmouth, William and Mary. So, I mean, not murderers row, but better than the Big South. So, I'm sure they'll still try to to pitch off in certain situations. Like open a weekend, they play UC Santa Barbara, which is ranked top 20, and then they got to turn around and play ECU on a Tuesday. So they can't be saving arms for ECU in certain situations. So I think that's, I mean, that, that's a valid point, right, Scott? hundred percent. You know, they're, they're stepping up in leagues, um, which at the same time, they, they've turned into a very good program and they have the depth and they have, you know, guys that are MLB type players on their team and they, and they've produced and proven that. Um, so yeah, you know, Santa Barbara's a really good team and I doubt they hold anybody back, but maybe that last weekend of the year, they look at, you know, what hopefully is a top 10 ECU team, as a way to, to boost their resume to either, you know, go from a three to a two or maybe even a two from a one if they are as good as they were last year. Kurt Cole with an interesting question here. He says, since Cliff Godwin turned over day-to-day hitting instructions to new hitting coach Henry Lartigue and Bryant Packard, by the way, also to have Pack back, uh, he says, I know Cliff is still ultimately in charge. Do y'all expect there to be any slight changes in offensive approaches? I mean, it's a good question. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just one of those things we're going to have to wait till the season starts. I know they're still going to value 
quabs. They're still going to value bunting, moving the baseball, two strike contact, all this sort of stuff. Like that's not going to change. You know how much does bringing in Lartigue and Packard to work more with the hitters? How much does that maybe change? You know, guys' mental state. You know, Cliff obviously has been working with hitters a long time, but certain guys like to you know get. I don't know, different instructions depending on who the hitting coach is. Maybe they like hearing from Lartigue or Packard more so than what Cliff was saying. I mean, it, it varies from guy to guy, I'm sure. So that's just something you don't know. Maybe it'll click for somebody, and then for, for somebody else, maybe it works better when they talk to Cliff. So I don't know. I, th- I feel like it's just one of those things. It's a great question, Kurt, but Wags, we don't really know till the season starts, but I'm, I am looking forward to seeing the approach and seeing if we see anything different, right? Yeah, for sure. I think – you know, say what you want to say about the the slashing, the bunning, all that stuff. Would I maybe like to see a little less of that stuff? Yes, but it's not up to me. And I think, you know, when you look at it, I do think um, Lartigue and Packard are two guys that Cliff trusts a lot, too. And I think that matters. And having them as, you know, pure hitting coach type guys, you know, I do think we could see some changes. Again, we're not there. We're not watching practice every day. We're not in the locker room in the meetings. We don't know what they're saying to each other as a coaching staff or from coaching staff to player. So I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are some small ones here and there. But again, maybe I hope so, but I don't make those decisions. Scott, I mean, I feel like a lot was made about the offensive struggles last year. I'm looking at the numbers. ECU hit 292 as a team with an 850 OPS, stole 87 of 103 bases, you know, 460 slug, 390 on base. Like, pretty good offensive numbers, but maybe not quite as good as uh, what ECU has been in its prime under Cliff. But do you think too much was made about the offensive inconsistencies last year, or, or is it valid? I think there's a factor that doesn't get talked about enough with the offense last year, and that was the introduction of the pitch clock. You know, everybody looks at that kind of singularly, like it focuses just on pitchers, but – you look at all the the pre the pre pitch instruction that was given out in uh, twenty two and and earlier in Cliff's career where he's throwing signs in to our hitters, whereas last year that's truncated just a, a ton because they have to get into the box before you know what is it fifteen seconds on the pitch clock. So now now you've had a year of that. You've had a year to adjust. You've had a year to get used to it as a hitter, as a third base coach, and you know, I think our numbers at the end of the year were probably a little bit better than they were at the beginning of the year. And I think some of that is just adjusting. And now this season you go into it not needing to adjust. Now you know what to expect in the box and you have to get those signals in either faster or less often. And you've had a year to figure that out. Pitch clock, by the way, uh, today was the first time seeing it at Clark O'Claire. There's a pitch clock to the right of the scoreboard. And then there's a pitch clock, obviously, to the left of uh, home plate, if you're looking at it from the TV view. They had to cut out a portion of the like the black backdrop behind home plate. So it looks kind of silly, but it's there. So that'll be – that was mandated by the NCAA rules. You had to have a pitch clock visible for the pitcher, hitter. So that has been an addition you'll see this year on uh, Clark Claire Stadium on TV, et cetera. Uh, more Campbell talk. Kurt Cohn says, for what it's worth, Campbell lost six of their everyday starters to graduation, minor league baseball transfer portal. And Jack Dover says, apparently Barry Bonds' nephew is on Campbell's roster. 
So Barry Bonds could make an appearance in Clark Leclerc Stadium. What do you guys think? Would y'all like to see Barry Bonds? Are y'all Barry Bonds' fans? I mean, is yeah. I mean, like he's a, obviously was a legend, but like clearly cheated. So I, I want to see him get a hold of that jet stream in right field. <laughs> oh my god, he could hit it to Daddy Fickle Stadium. Yeah, I back, mean, back then at least. One of the most feared hitters of all time. Whether he did it clean or not is is up for debate. I guess not really, but um, yeah, it'd be cool. I think this is like when Michael Jordan's son was on US, uh, UCF, oh, yeah. and and the rumor swirled that Michael Jordan was coming to Menji's. Um, he did not, uh, unfortunately, was did not make an appearance um, ever uh, in Menji's. So um, would be cool, but I, I doubt we see Barry Lamar Bonds and Clark Leclerc. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it, but who knows? You never know. Clark Leclerc is the place to be. All right, guys, let's uh, let's go through the schedule. I think I, – see, I'm losing focus, too. I had something else to say, and it keeps slipping my mind. But let's talk about our most anticipated series and why we're looking forward to ECU at UTSA on March 22nd, 24th. Uh, apparently, Cliff was asked about that at media day and talked about how it's not even like a, a real field. Is it parking lot? Is that what yeah. it was talked about, Wags? Yeah, pretty much how the playing service sucks and someone's going to get hurt, something like that. So, yeah, Roadrunner Field. Because <laughs> they're, they're going to be running for the roads after they're done. <laughs> and that is the, that's the conference opening series, right? Yeah. Yep. Are y'all making the trip for that? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, maybe in San Antonio in May. It's, it's up in the air right now, but it is the wrong, it is the wrong month. For that series, I needed to be at the end of the year. So any 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 of these weekend series, or I guess you could go midweek if you want. But we'll start with uh, you, Scott. What do you think? I mean, anything really that you're looking forward to as you look at the schedule? Now, I will give San Antonio credit. They did spend four weeks in the top twenty-five last year, so uh, credit to them for for doing that. And then I think they lost a ton at the end of the year um, to kind of to fall off a bit. But I think the first time Charlotte comes as a conference opponent on a weekend. I should be a good crowd for that. It's in mid-April. It's like April 12th to 14th or something like that. It'll be a, a very exciting series. Um, obviously, the UNC series is always a lot of fun. Um, I wish we were playing at the, at the DBAP so that we could have, you know, a little bit closer to me. But, um, yeah, I would put Charlotte at the, at the top of the list right now. It's a, a new conference opponent. Adds a lot more meaning. They're a team that made the tournament last year, a team that won a tournament game last year as well. So, um We'll see what they bring. They'll be fired up for it, and we'll need to, to show them the same respect. I don't know if I can withstand a series loss to Charlotte after what has happened in football, what has happened in basketball. And if I see one more Charlotte 49ers thread started on Hoist the Colors, I'm going to lose my mind, guys. I can't. I mean, it's every day I get up there, there's a Charlotte 49ers thread. Is this like, I, I guess the robbery is a good thing because, like, there's some, you know, there's some care. But uh, it's not off to the best start for ECU. Please, I'm with you. Just every time I don't check horsey colors as much as I used to. I still check it about once a day. But yeah, I mean, every time I click, there's something else, and it's pretty hostile in there too. Yeah, it's not pretty. Uh, Wags, what do you got uh, as far as the schedule? Yeah, I think for me. I mentioned earlier how I think this team struggled a little bit on the road last year, especially early in the season. So 
you know, opening weekend's rider, then you have the Carolina series, and then you have the LeClaire Classic. But to me, I'm looking at that fourth weekend at Liberty. Liberty was down a little bit last year, but and I think that's fourth weekend. I could be wrong. But if you're correct. No, third weekend. Thirds of the classic. No, 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 you're right. Fourth, yeah, my bad. Okay, okay. But either way, I mean think again, going on the road, you're not going too far, you know, you're just going to Virginia up north a little bit. But again, going to Liberty, a team that's typically pretty good. You know, maybe not the level of some of the other teams, but still for a road weekend, I feel like that's it's a tough early season series. And I hope Liberty rebounds. I hope it is a true test. But I'm looking at that one. And then I can't not mention the midweek NC State and Greenville. Alec McRevich return. Going to be a lot of hype. Going to be a lot of fans going crazy. And I'm ready for it. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm uh, excited about that series just to see the reaction. Like, I mean, look, AVAC's a good dude. So, uh, but you transferred to NC State. I mean, that's you got to live with that decision. You know, you know, everybody knows the deal between ECU and NC State, especially in baseball. All right, you guys know I'm revenge oriented in any sport. So Wichita State comes to town April nineteenth, twenty one. The problem is, it's a whole new coaching staff. It's basically a whole new team, but still, from an ECU perspective, you have got to – I mean, that was an embarrassment last year in Wichita, Kansas. You have got to make a statement there. The other one is at Tulane, May 10th through the 12th. First off, I expect Tulane to be better. I think Connor Rasmussen, did he transfer to Tulane too? Yes, he did. you got that factor. You've got the conference championship last year and the fact that a bad Tulane team took ECU to the wire in Clark Claire. So those are the two series in conference play that I'm looking at. ECU needs to show up motivated. Also, at FAU is interesting. I feel like they're randomly like really good in baseball every few years. It wouldn't shock me if they're good. They're in Florida. They're in Boca Raton. Who's going to play baseball there? So, I went more with a conference feel, but uh, those are some series to watch for me. All right, Kurt Cohn says 21 of the last 32 games are at home, and typically Cliff Godwin teams get better as the year progresses. So having a lot of home games in the second half of the season is a plus. Brandon says, I go glad you got the guys back together. And did you ever get Scott a shirt? Scott hoped the 49ers are competitive Sunday, but they don't have a chance. Wow. And uh, <laughs> all right, there's the hoist the color shirt, superseded by the 49ers gear. Look, if my team was in the Super Bowl, I'd be doing the same thing. Um, so, do the Niners, are they going to win Sunday? Yep. It's our all turn. Right. Short and sweet. It is It is the Niners' turn, which means the Chiefs are going to win. But uh, I would love to see Mahomes cry. God, I hate the Chiefs. Can't stand them, man. Can't the real do question it. is, can you guess whose jersey this is? Michael Crabtree. It is not. It's definitely not Jawan Jennings. It is not. <laughs> is it uh, – how long ago is it? Uh, probably a 10-ish years. Maybe not quite that long. Fifteen. It's a position. It is a receiver. I'm gonna be mad when you tell me. I don't know. I don't want to sit here in silence for the audience. So I guess just tell us. Pierre, my man. Wow. I was I was thinking he was 88, whatever he wore in Washington. I'm a Commanders fan. That is a great. That is a great jersey. Love it you. was on uh, sale for like twelve dollars, and I was like, "Okay, well, that's perfect. I'll take that." <laughs> wow, 
Uh, Brandon Carr also wants to know, Wags, how great was Franklin Street last night after your Tar Heels got the win? Uh, they are not my Tar Heels, and I was not on Franklin Street. Hey, you were at UNC Baseball Media Day. Let's not let uh, let's let the record show that. I was, but I, I am doing a little baseball coverage around the state this year. So it was purely for work purposes, and I wrote more ECU stories than I did UNC stories. So we'll also put that on the record. But I was not on Franklin Street last night. Can confirm. We also cannot confirm. That's uh, good. <laughs> Check the Instagram stories. Is it? Is it? Or was it less than twenty-four hours ago? Uh, it would be right on that border. He would be celebrating exactly right twenty-four hours ago. Top so of the we'll, rock, or whatever that place is called. Yeah, he was at the UNC Subdogs. Don't <laughs> let him fool you. Um. All right. So somebody just sent me a picture of the UTSA press row, and it's an embarrassment outside. So I'm glad I'm not making that drip. We also have an anonymous source that would like to know if Caleb LeCount can join the baseball team as a pinch runner once basketball season ends. What do y'all think? I'm in. I think he'd be great. How does that work scholarship-wise? I think he would count towards basketball. So basically, ECU just needs a roster spot. Yeah, Let's do it. it. Make it happen. we got Nick Slogic joining next year as a football baseball player. So let's have multi-sport athletes in multiple sports. All right, Robert Matthews says, I go Numa or Invincible. So if you're a Tool fan, the band, you know what he's asking. If not, you have no idea what he's asking. Uh, Numa, I've seen him perform both songs live in concert, and I'm going to go Numa, but both are great songs. Cody Baum says, looking forward to getting in the jungle again. Is it a party foul if I don't donate? A first game ball to a kid if I catch one. I guess it depends on if it's if there's a kid in your proximity, right? You got to hand it over. What do y'all think? Yeah, it's it's a cruel business for us, honestly. But I think you got to for sure. Yeah, when I was in school, we had a the foul ball promotion F O W L with Buffalo Wild Wings, and those balls were worth fifteen bucks of Buffalo Wild Wings. And I would not give one to to anyone um, during that time, because that was that was a dinner with me and the boys. We would we would all get three foul balls. We'd save them up, turn them in, go to Buffalo Wild Wings, and and have a, a great time. All right, if y'all have any more comments, drop them here. We're about to get out of here. Cody says, as a dad, I'll just bring my kid and donate them. There you go. I mean, that is your solution right there. Uh, but he's got to be under the age of ten. If not, then you got to give it to, to somebody younger. Um, all right. Any final thoughts? Did we did we miss anything? I don't know. We'll start with Wags. Any final thoughts here as we wrap up the first edition of the Hoisted Colors podcast? By the way, Cody says his kids are two and six, so you're safe, Cody. Bring the two-year-old, and you'll get balls from all around. Uh, Wags, what do you got? Yeah, well, my first final thought has nothing to do with ECU or baseball. And I did happen to take a peek at Twitter and Adam Schefter, he tweeted out um, the Chiefs and Commanders both have now arrived in Las Vegas. The week of Super Bowl, whatever number it is, officially is underway. So he has since edited that. But as a Commanders fan, I just thought he was he, he knew me and Scott were here together on air. So I feel like that's why that happened. He was distracted. He's watching the show. Um, but... You know, commanders are nowhere close. But 
Yeah, I think I'm excited for baseball again. I think there are a lot of storylines, whether it's pitching, whether it's defense, whether it's hitting, there's baseball for you. But again, I think we're going to see probably three different lineups the first three games of the season. But someone's going to someone's going to have a big weekend, opening weekend, and they're not going to let off the gas. And it's going to be someone maybe we're not expecting. Someone's going to ha- come in, make a big impact right away, and it's going to just set the tone for a big year from that individual. We'll see who it is, but I'm just excited. The, it's going to be a good year. Baseball is here. It's warmer right now. It's going to get cold for opening weekend, I know, but can't come soon enough. Justin Wilcox, what did he go, like 11 of 14 open a weekend last year or something stupid? Yeah, like, like carrying the whole year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like he was still batting 400 in the start of May or something stupid. Um, Scott, what do, you, what do you got as far as final thoughts? Any Anything we haven't already touched on? Yeah, if you're if you're listening and you're not on the Hoist the Colors board, um, join us during baseball season. Uh, I'll I'll be starting my top twenty five, you know, discussion thread as well as each week I, I drop a five teams ranked ahead of us, uh, kind of previewing their week and then recapping it. And as always, we'll do our top twenty five predictions, which we may have to to drop on the show on Sunday nights uh, since we moved it up a day. Uh, and so, yeah, if, if you want to talk about ECU baseball, it's such a it's such a great place to do it, uh, especially if you're, you know, not able to make it to Clark McClary on the game threads. Uh, you know, those can get pretty active. So if, you, if you're listening, you're not a subscriber, go ahead and, and hop on and join us for the discussion. Appreciate that. Shout out, Scott. Um, and all right, so Kurt is wanting to know, Final predictions on EC baseball record and do they host or not? Should we save this for our roundtable the day before? Or do y'all want to go ahead and throw it out? Just give me Warren Nolan's 55 and 2. Chalk yeah, it out. <laughs> yeah, the extra game. <laughs> yeah. What do they have us playing ODU twice or something? I think that's what it was. We had yeah. two games against ODU, but we only played them there once or something like that. Right. Uh, Cody says they host in regional and supers. Hashtag burn the boats. I tell you what, when Mike Houston tweets burn the boats, I'll know something real has happened, but I'm still waiting on that. Um, I, let's save the – I tell you what, Kurt, we're going to do a roundtable Thursday, February 15th on the Hoist of Colors radio show that will be in podcast form on the Hoist of Colors 94.3 channel. Make sure you subscribe to that. And we'll save it for that, and we'll do like first home run, first out of the bullpen, all that good stuff, uh, leading, batting average, most home runs. We'll, we'll do all that. So uh, we'll save it. Kurt says sounds good. He appreciates the show. Kurt, thanks to you guys. We had a lot of viewers, guys. People are ready for baseball season. Uh, again, so we'll we'll go every Sunday night. We won't do next Sunday night. So starting after the, uh, the first series, we'll be recapping it that night. And we'll go 9 o'clock every Sunday night. And then this will all be archived in podcast form as well on the Hoist of Colors podcast if you miss any of it, and replay on YouTube if you want to see the beautiful face of Scott Lorbacher and Jonathan Wagner. All right. Appreciate you guys, as always. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the preseason. We're still working out these kinks. I'm. We, it's been a long time. since We're we've not had, in the season form yet. Yeah, we've had the trio. I, you know, signing off is always the most awkward thing on a podcast because, <laughs> like, I don't have any, like, outro music in the moment. I can go back and add it, but it's not the same. So, uh, 
just wait to see the live go away in the top corner. Exactly. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna just sign off as awkwardly as possible, <laughs> and uh, we'll be back. A couple Sundays from now, again, check out our radio edition as well on the 15th. We'll talk to y'all then. Appreciate y'all. Looking forward to the season. We'll see you next time. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. 